Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Every Wednesday, we are joined by our friends at the American Legion. And today, well, today is no exception. We have two Legion members in here with us. Two Legion members doing important things at their national headquarters. Joe Plensler is the Director of Media Relations for the American Legion. Joe, how are you doing this morning? Hey, happy Wednesday. It's good to be here. Matt Schumann, Legislative Director for the American Legion, returns to the show again and joins us. Matt, how are you doing? You're looking dapper, by the way. I Thank mean you, to point sir. that out. People can't really see it. Well, my mom radio. always said I had a face for radio, and I was actually told that more than once on the way here this morning. But yeah, it's, the, it's a scarlet <laughs> silk carnation that's really really tying the whole outfit together. It does, so and the, the patterned suit, it's a very subtle pattern. Blue is one of my favorite colors, as is the charcoal gray. I was, I was, I'm very happy that we're now doing a Veterans Forward fashion show. Yes, and that's Wonderful. basically, this is the announcement that we are transitioning connecting <laughs> vets to um, basically condemning or connecting vets based on their fashion choices. I'm happy. I'm, happy. I'm, that's good. I'm good with yeah, yours. Yeah, and what, you know, do what you don't see also is Matt's socks and shoelaces, so he always, since he's our legislative director, he always wears like one red and one blue Blue, shoelace, and sock to show that you have the uh, and, you're, and you're playing it equal. And so the fun part is, I'll, I'll be sitting in a member of Congress's office, and I typically cross the ladies appropriate to their party. So ah. I'll, I'll let my blue sock show if I'm meeting with, <laughs> with Senator Tester, if I'm meeting with Chairman Isaacson, I'll let my red sock, my red sock show. And we'll end the fashion talk there. Uh, it should end. I don't want to talk about this blazer that <laughs> Joe is wearing right now. I'm not, <laughs> not looks, sure. He looks like a professor. I'm just <laughs> Professor Plensler. There yeah. you go. I like he, it. He can do it. Yeah. All right. So as I mentioned, Matt, legislative director of the American Legion and legislatively, this has been, we're coming up on the end of 2017, which has been one of the biggest years for veterans legislatively. Yeah. Uh, we're going to talk all about legislation and what's been going on this year. But first, I think it's important to talk about what's still going on right now and the biggest, I guess the biggest uh, coal in the fire, or whatever you want to say, yeah. the choice program, yeah. which has been a recurring theme. We started connecting vets back in June. We went live and choice was the big thing in June. Here we are six months later. Guess what's still the big thing? I mean, you're the legislative director yeah. of the American Legion. I'm betting you can. So where do we stand on choice right now? What's going on with it? And is this something that we're going to have an answer to in any short amount of time? Well, short is, is certainly subjective. Let's, let's take a step back real quick and just uh, figure out what choice is. Choice, if you recall, uh, stemmed out of the 2014 um, Phoenix VA scandal, right? Um, and it, it gives veterans a choice to be able to, to acquire uh, quality health care in the community. So they do not necessarily have to go to the VA to get their health care to get a you know checked up on a cold or a battle born illness. They have the ability to um, get quality care uh, in the community closer to home, which is which is great, right? Um, however, what's really interesting and it's kind of this uh, sort of cluster of a mess that's going on right now is um, literally as we speak, uh, or actually yesterday, sorry, the, the House Veteran Affairs Committee held a markup um, on their bill. Right. But it's not just the House Committee that has a bill, and it's not just the Senate Veteran Affairs Committee that has a bill. I'm not kidding you when I tell you there are seven different bills in Congress right now. Seven. 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 Which is also an interesting fact. Do you know how many bills are introduced in Congress every session? 
Mm, well, it's more guess, than seven. I know yeah, that now. Many, Joe, you want to guess how many bills were introduced in Congress? Ah, over 50. Uh, 10,000. Over 10,000 pieces of legislation is introduced into the Congress every session. Wow. Now, how much of that is repetitive? Like, as we're seeing with you, we're talking about choice. Oh, yeah. Seven different things. Well, there's, being... there's a certain point when, when bills start to become a message, a message for a member of Congress, right? This member of Congress, you know, Congressman Matthew Schumann, myself, may have no intention on actually getting this bill passed, but I want to be able to tell my constituents back in Arizona that I've, that I've done this, right? And so when the bill passes, I'm going to be able to say, you know what? I got, I got one line in that bill from my bill. I helped write that bill. I helped veterans vote me into Congress again. Mm. So there's so, a lot of that gamesmanship so, going so on. So I would not be shocked uh, you know, if, if that's happening. But point is, there are seven different bills in Congress right now. There's a House bill uh, from Chairman Rowe. There's a Senate bill. Uh, there's a McCain-Moran bill uh, which they've put together. And then there's four other bills that are just kind of random. Um, just sort of out of nowhere, members of Congress who don't necessarily interface with the Veteran Affairs Committees um, often, which was a surprise to us. So there's a lot going on there. I think they're just letting us know they care. Yes, yeah. that could be it. I mean, the fact that there are seven there, I suppose you could look at in two different ways. One, uh, it's a little bit of muddling the message when you have seven different bills to talk right. about. When you're talking about a choice bill, well, which one are we talking about here? Are we talking about the House, the Senate? And there has been some confusion over those those two main ones. And then, of course, McCain-Moran, as you talked about, which is kind of, I would say, the, the tertiary one. It's It's a little bit behind the other two as far as uh, what people know about choice legislation. Right. The differences between, let's look at those three and not focus on the uh, the four that you've described right, as yes. random. What are the differences between those three and how far apart are they to where we might be able to get support for something to kind of get funding going for this yeah. where we don't have to every couple of months be sitting around going, yeah. how are we going to fund it? Well, well, fortunately, let's uh, let's also just realize that um, the, the government's currently running on a CR right now, which is how they're funding the government, right? Continuing resolution. Right. Um, the... There's another one that's going to have to be passed on December 22nd. And in that package, there's $2.1 billion, sort of a Band-Aid to get us through a period of time right. to, to realistically fix this. Because trying to get these members of Congress to pass a bill right now would, would not be at the best of service for veterans. Um, so there's, there's a lot of sort of sunlight between the three different bills. For example, the McCain-Moran bill um, is, has something in there called the Center of Innovation, which essentially is like this sort of pilot program project, something kind of really neat – uh, at the VA that would allow them and give them money to be able to sort of create some new programs and, and sort of test pilot these programs um, and, and you know, be innovative, essentially. Right. And so kind of like, you know, sort of like a like a Cupertino within the VA, if you will. Um, so that's in the McCain-Moran bill, and that was actually something that the VA and the White House wanted, uh, and it's not in the Senate Veterans Bill. Um, and it's uh, yesterday during the markup for the House Veterans Affairs Committee, the chairman added that as an amendment. So, mm. so that's just one of, the, one of the differences. And the big difference really always comes down to is the eligibility. Like most of them agree on the same sort of standards and who's going to pay for it and where the money comes from. But it really comes down to eligibility. What, what, what veteran is qualified by VA standards to seek care in the community mm. and who makes that decision? And that can have a significant impact on cost, of course. The more Absolutely. inclusive it is, the more expensive it's going to be. Which of these, uh, these bills that we have looking at it now – uh, on the scale, I mean, if we were to rank the three of them on who's the least inclusive and who's the most inclusive, who, you know, what, which is it? You know, what I thought was really interesting is the first bill that came out was the House Veteran Affairs Bill. And um, it scored or it's it purported to cost um, right around $39 billion for 10 years, mm. right? And, and when that bill, when that score came back, it was it was essentially DOA. 
What was really interesting is the Senate said, hold my beer. Uh, and, and their bill came out at like $50 billion. <laughs> um, and it was just sort of interesting to sort of see this sort of come through. Uh, so to, to answer the question of which bill is more realistic to move right now, um, that's really hard to answer because they're all three sort of at a different level. Um, the Senate bill has been uh, passed through the, through the committee and is waiting for floor action. They tried to hotline it two weeks ago and it failed. Um, the House bill is being marked up uh, yesterday. Uh, and, you know, the McCain-Moran bill, they're trying to do their thing too. But at the end of the day, the White House, uh, from my understanding, is, is trying to engage all three of these uh, sort of bills and, and decipher and sort of come to a conclusion and, and sort of simmer it down to getting – yeah, one good spot. We wrote several letters of support. We did, yes, uh, for a couple different bills, and I, I think what our going in position is: number one, the VA needs to be the gatekeeper of care, right? right. And number two, veterans shouldn't have to pay out of their own pocket for their health care for service-connected mm. disabilities. So, right, you know, beyond that, what we continue to work with the committees, right? After those two sort of sort of thresholds, then it's all you know, sort of dressing on the cake, and we'll we'll take a look at it and, and negotiate and figure out the what's right. Part of the issue with choice seems to be, and we've spoken to members of Congress about this, um, including one that comes to mind, Congressman Pierce from New Mexico, who yeah, talked about choice is. and how it affects his constituents, because in where he lives in New Mexico, it can be several hours for them to get to a VA facility. Absolutely. Whereas if you if you look at where I'm from, I'm from the New York City metropolitan area in southwest Connecticut. You're driving, I mean, in any direction, you're not going to be driving more than two hours before right. you're at a VA facility, maximum. Or Dunkin' Donuts. Yeah, well, man, we have tons of those. 7-Eleven, <laughs> I think there were five 7-Elevens within a half mile of where I lived on Long Island. Wow. Anyway, when we talk about the differences between states and perception, right. do you think that's part of the issue here as well, where those in the more uh, congested and the, the states on the coast don't have the same understanding of the distances yeah. involved and the issues that are faced in the in the middle of the country? Yeah, most certainly. Um, you know, So, for example, one of the first things that when they were talking about reform of choice and wanted to get rid of the 40-mile, the 30-day rule – um, but then you look at somewhere in someone's district like Lee Zeldin of New York, right? I mean, uh, I, I've been on the phone with his, some of his, his constituents who their VA is 10 miles away, but it takes two hours to get to it. Oh, yeah, I know that. Right. But then you, <laughs> then you take that and you go to like uh, John Tester's district, Senator Tester of Montana, right? I mean, that's his whole state. Uh, that's that's how far are they? Uh, how far are those people traveling? Can't even imagine. I mean, yeah, when so, when you start looking at the the, the mountainous areas in right. the Southwest, particularly that kind of a mountain region of the country, right? The distances that we're dealing with there are kind of hard to conceive. Yeah, so, you know, as the crow flies, in, yeah. In a scale for me, and they said that Montana from east to west is as far, a little bit farther than from DC to Chicago. Yeah, wow. which is crazy when you think about it. When you look at the map, those maps of the United States are yeah. not, not to, quite not accurate. They're not to scale. And the other thing to consider with, with some of the areas, like Montana, for example, a place that I've been, half of the state is flat. The yeah. other half, Mountains. you're talking, I mean, going 20 miles, really, if you're trying to travel 20 miles as the crow flies, right. it could be a 60-mile drive just yeah. because of how you have to wind through the mountains and everything. I mean, geographically, I think that that has an effect. I mean, as you mentioned, Senator Tester, he knows that. Congressman Pierce knows that. Right. Do the other members of Congress, I'm sure they know it to some extent, but do they care about that because that's not what they're dealing with and right. you know even pennsylvania medium-sized state connecticut rhode island new york you know the, the well, east and west coast it, that's why it's so particularly interesting when these other members of congress who typically don't interface with the veteran affairs committees you know draft a bill that mm -hmm. would drastically overhaul and reform a veterans program whether it be choice or something else um i'm you know every member of congress has veterans in their district right but the veteran but the members of congress who are on the committees deal with us daily and it's mm -hmm. a, it's, it's a different avenue yeah
And it, it's different wherever you go. Certain places have huge concentrations of veterans. Some of them, they're fewer and far between. I mean, go right. to go to New England as well, where you have yeah. a huge percentage of the population of the United States. The veteran population is not as large of a percentage of that as it might be right. in, let's say, Texas, Florida, Southern California. I mean, look at look at, look at the demographic of Congress. How many members of Congress are now veterans? Mm. Right, compared to even forty years ago. Yep. At one point, there was seventy over seventy percent of members of Congress were veterans. Now not it's, so much, not so much today, y'all. It, yeah. It's interesting in that people can look at it, Joe, and say, like, you know what? There is a higher percentage of congressional members than veterans make up of the population, so that's good. However, when you look at how it was in the past, and of course, that has a lot to do with global conflicts like World War II and, I mean, kind of everybody right. serving at that time. But it is something where, yeah, we're still a little bit overrepresented, some might well, say, in Congress. Yeah, and that's why it's kind of interesting to look at what Ry Barkat and his folks are doing over at With Honor, you know, trying to put veterans in Congress, regardless of which side they are, they're on, as long as they subscribe to their set of, of values, right? Right. And so... Um, you know, I think it's going to be interesting. I mean, when I was talking to those guys, they said that there's like 250 veterans running for Congress in 2018, about 150 wow. Ds and about yeah. 100 Rs. And I need to double check that stat. But I mean, that's pretty staggering. But I can tell you, I have like two personal friends that are running for Congress this year. So I mean, I think 18 is going to be a real interesting yeah. race to watch from the veteran perspective. Right. You know, and their working theory is that, you know, the post-World War II generation was more efficient. And they think it's because more of them had that, that shared bond of having served their country first and then served again on the Hill. Um, it's an interesting theory. It's going to be interesting, really interesting to watch this, this next election play out. And it reminds me of when we spoke to Brian Staskavage. He's an army veteran who uh, came into the national spotlight when he wrote an op-ed about the black lives matter movement uh, at um, Wesleyan up in Connecticut. And he came down and talked to us and he, he leans to the conservative side, but he was talking about uh, some of the veterans in Congress who he would disagree with on many things politically, but he'd be more likely to vote for them because he knows and he trusts in that they do have that kind of shared value system, whether their their political stance is exactly what he would uh, agree with or not. There is that uh, that shared feeling, I think, within right. people in the veteran community that we have, which brings me to a question that I want to ask and that I think a lot of people have. I think they may already have their answer from the first segment of this interview, but why is it that the American Legion and the VSOs need to have a legislative and basically a lobbying office here in Washington, D.C.? What is what is the basic uh, goal of having that office there, and what is it that you guys do on a day-to-day -day basis, Matt? Yeah, well, well, good question. First of all, uh, the big reason is so I can have a paycheck. Uh, the second reason, <laughs> no, um, no. So it, it, it's critical to know that literally um, every day Congress is a session, somebody from our, our division, our team, is pounding pavement on Capitol Hill. Um, as, as Joe said earlier on, 2017 has been a particularly um, active year for veteran legislation. And it goes back to what we were just discussing about veterans working together, right? One of the most successful committees on Capitol Hill this year during a very divided and controversial time has been the Veteran Affairs Committees. Um, they passed quite a bit of legislation, um, including, and you know, we're working on choice now to the wee hours, but it's amazing. So the reason why is, you know, especially at a time right now when Congress doesn't have a lot of veterans, they need these, you know, respected veterans groups to weigh in and advise them on how to do the right thing for veterans. Um, so, the, so at the end of the day, it's really just about making sure that veterans are represented before Congress. And, yeah. you know, you know, people have the ability to join or, or associations and organizations all over the world, all over the country, whether it be the, you know, United States Truckers Association. They have lobbyists on Capitol Hill. The American Legion is no different. We need to go up there and represent uh, and tell Congress, hey, listen, you have a good intention, 
um, this bill is, is pure and with intention. And it wants to do something to help veterans. I get what you're trying to do. However, the negative consequences or the unintended consequences of your legislation would harm this sect of veterans or, or do this. Or on the other side of that, instead of us just telling members of Congress how not to hurt veterans, sometimes we have to go up there and say, hey, we're hearing, you know, for example, in, in the tax reform bill right now, one of the big things in the, in the area is when a veteran is uh, ruled as 100% disabled or if they pass away and in the line of duty and they have student loans, their student loans are discharged. They're, right. they're, they're, they're waived. But they were taxed still. So whether the, whether the veteran had to pay the taxes on the you know, $50,000 wave to student loans or the parent. I mean, imagine, imagine being the parent of a deceased veteran who you know, died in, in Iraq and Afghanistan and their, their $50,000 student loans is waived and then you get a, you know, a bill for mm. you know, $4,000 for the taxes for it, whatever the, that math would equate to. Imagine that. So, you know, we, we're up here on Capitol Hill trying to always make sure that veterans are served appropriately. And one of those situations is in the tax bill right now with making sure that these uh, taxes aren't um, passed on to the veterans. Yeah. And, and you know, as a 501c19, we're, we're a nonprofit organization. We're congressionally chartered. And in our charter, I mean, it's our duty to advise Congress on legislation that, that impacts veterans. Like it's our duty to advise the VA on policy. I mean, so we really just work in the areas of, of policy and law in this office and, you know, um, but, you know, why, I think is a good question because, you know, we, our nation hasn't had, you know, a consistent history with, with caring for veterans no. after wars and living up to the promises made before the war, after the war. And, you know, I always think back to like, why do organizations like this? It's simply, simply because, you know, people remember and veterans remember like how Spanish American war veterans were treated were the only reason that anyone understood that there was like tens of thousands of people sick and dying out on Long Island yeah. is because these sick veterans were, were stumbling into Manhattan with tropical diseases. And then people were like, holy smokes, like this is not going well and we're not treating vets right. right. Um, World War One, you know, failure to pay bonuses led to the bonus army. You know, that whole story with, with here in the encampment in Anacostia where MacArthur was driving people out at Bayonet Point and tear gas, right? Yeah. You know, veterans, you know, right here in our nation's capital. World War Two, I think they did a, a little bit better job you know, with uh, reintegrating veterans after the war, Vietnam, not so good, Korea, not so good, um, and the Gulf. So I, I think, you know, each generation of veterans, the bottom line is that they have to stand up for their own rights and benefits. And if, if, right. if they're not going to do it, if people like us aren't going to do it, then nobody's going to do it, and then they get forgotten. And that's that's just a recipe The American for Legion gets to battle for every generation, which is great. We're speaking to the American Legion's legislative director, Matt Schumann, and... Their media guy, Joe Plensler, talking to him and these two gentlemen about uh, basically the reasoning for the American Legion having their legislative and uh, lobbying office. And, you know, do you think it's an issue of, I think many of us put a little bit too much on members of Congress in that you think, well, this person got elected to Congress. They must know everything about the issues that are taking place. That's not the case. These are regular people. These are people who were elected right. to office. They're people who either have a gift for public speaking or have worked their way up through politics or whatever right. the case may be, does not make you a subject matter expert. It makes right. me think of oh, last night, Flo Grotberg, Medal of Honor recipient. One of the things he said while speaking at UMUC was, did you know that when you get the Medal of Honor, you become a subject matter expert in foreign policy and <laughs> national security? It was like, no. I wasn't any smarter the day after <laughs> I got hurt than the day before. I, like it, Nothing changed, but people looked to me, and I think we have some of the same things going on with Congress yeah, members yeah. where we think they have a knowledge that they don't necessarily have. They may or may not. And also, you know, where they are, they, they have that platform. And if they don't have the knowledge, it can be detrimental to the veterans' causes. Right. How much of an issue do you think that is? And how important do you think that factor is when talking about what the Legion does legislatively yeah. and with well, lobbying? That's that's an awesome question. There's a huge divide. 
um, I think nationally there's a, a negative connotation on lobbyists, right? And it's um, there was somebody who said that lobbyists are a necessary evil because, to your point, members of Congress can't know everything about every subject, even though they want right. they want you to think so. Um, they need. <laughs> The American Legion, they need these associations, they need lobbyists who, and it doesn't matter if you work for BP or the American Legion, you have knowledge and and science and studies and research and you have the time, that's what you get paid to do, you have the time to know this, like the back of your hand. So when you sit down with congressmen or members of Congress and their staff, you're able to let them know. Um, and that's why there, you know, there's a massive turnover on Capitol Hill. And, and, and there was an article that came out last year that had said that if Congress paid their staff better, then maybe there'd be less turnover and, mm. and, and et cetera, which... You know, I, I've I've worked on the Hill before, and it's um I can see some validity in that. But at the end of the day, subject matter experts work for these organizations who go before Congress and share with them what's going on, why why this information is valid in their community, and uh, you know try to convince members of Congress. But at the end of the day, members of Congress don't know everything yeah. about anything. Yeah, I mean, lobbying done right, you know, provides expertise to members of Congress from different industry sectors, and that right. I don't think anything really. You know, I, th I think done right, that's a public service, right? Right. I, I think the problem comes in is when it's like dark money gets involved and people don't know, like, you know what I mean? That's yeah, where side it's of it. coming from. Right. But but just to correct any perceptions about the type of stuff that we do, we're a 501c19. Right. You can look at our 990s. We are definitely not getting rich off of, yeah, no, off, far, of this far, effort. I mean, far uh, from it. so if, you, if, you're, if you're looking at like getting into lobbying to make money, uh, don't work for a veteran service organization. Yeah. But, uh, uh, you know, like any, any of these groups, any of these, that's the other thing too is like, any charitable organization, any 501c3, c4, c19, they all got to file their 990 tax forms. It's all right. online. You, right. you can find out you know, what their executive compensation and is. We, we, we maintain a list that we have to share it with Congress of the yeah. bills that we work on every year. But I'll tell you this, I, I'm so far from getting rich in this, you know, working for this job. When we were working on the um, the new GI Bill earlier this year, uh, which was which was passed, which was amazing, um, I had jokingly asked one of the members of Congress, can we put a provision in there where you guys remove my student loan balance? And he laughed. Um I was serious, and I, I, I still have to pay my student loans, guys. Yeah. No, well, but, you say you're not rich, but I, cloth carnations, Joe, they're not cheap these days. He's, yeah, he's it was $1.99 at Joseph A. Bacon. We're more so. shabby chic, I think. It's probably more, <laughs> shabby chic. Shabby chic. You know, I think when we talk about lobbying, the first image that comes to my mind is like the tobacco lobby, the yeah. people that are trying to, Big hey, you know, as it was presented to me as a kid, people who wanted everyone to get cancer, right? They're spending money to skirt the laws and get these restrictions lifted. Oh, tweaking nicotine levels get you more addicted. Yeah where, yeah, where in reality, there are just as many, if not more groups like the Legion out there who are doing right. good things and yeah. letting people know about what's going on out there. I'd watch so. out for the Rip It lobbyists, though. There's the Rip It. <laughs> You know, we probably need an investigation into that. If, 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 I think the Marine Corps in particular will be very interested if, uh, in that one. If Runs on, yeah, Rippets in Copenhagen. Yeah. If, if the company who owns Monster wants to come over and lobby me, you are more than welcome to just bring several uh, several cases with you. Well, and if they are, if anyone's interested in finding out more about the legislative department of the American Legion, they can look it up at the website. Yeah. Where should people go to find out more about what you're doing? Legislative Director Matt Schumann? Yeah, legion.org forward slash legislative. Um, or you know you just you know Google us and, and learn more. But we are so very active. You follow us on Twitter at uh, Legion NDC or American Legion. Um, we're all over the place. But I mean, if you want to see a, a true dedicated team on Capitol Hill who's badgering members of Congress to do the right thing for veterans, look no further than the American Legion. 
Absolutely. Well, our thanks to Matt Schumann and Joe Plensler from the American Legion for stopping by and talking to us about the Choice Program and the reason behind basically Matt's job existing. And it's not just to earn him a paycheck. It's to make sure veterans' voices are heard on Capitol Hill. So thank you so much for the work that you do. My pleasure. Thank you. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? You spend only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month without a pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See T-Mobile.com. 